Would you pray with me? Almighty God, you are Lord of heaven and earth. You are our creator, yet you stretch out your right hand and in your unfailing love you redeem us and you lead us. Lead us, Father, as we continue to study your word. Reveal yourself and your promises to us so that we might grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ and glorify you more and more each day. And as I teach your word to your people, take away all my iniquity and receive me graciously, O Lord, that I may offer the fruit of my lips. May you alone, God, reign in the hearts of your beloved children today and forever. It is in the precious name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. What chains are you still wearing? Thus far, the Apostle Paul has taught us that as believers, we have gone from slaves to sons. We are God's beloved children. This truth thrills the soul. Would we then listen to someone who says we must return to the chains of slavery? Would we then run away from God rather than toward God? What would make us do such a thing? This is what Paul is perplexed about with the Galatian Christians. Throughout Galatians chapters 3 and 4, he makes the case against the law and for God's grace. God's true children are adopted by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by obedience to the law, not by good works, but we all have a way of still wearing the chains of slavery. We do this every time we try to earn that which God gives his children by grace. What chains are you still wearing? Are you wearing the chains of a crazy, busy life working for God's kingdom? The chains of following a strict schedule of quiet time with God. The chains of being on your best behavior when your church friends or your pastors are watching. Now, nothing is wrong with those things. They are good things for a believer, unless they are done with the wrong motive. The motive of manipulating God, of trying to earn his favor and your salvation. The truth is, is that our identity in Christ liberates us from the chains of doing anything to earn God's favor. Because Jesus already accomplished it all for us on the cross. Our identity in Christ liberates us to love, serve, and glorify God. Our identity in Christ breaks the chains of slavery to all that leads to sin and death. And our identity in Christ is a gift of God's grace. All believers are God's blood-bought, beloved children. In this passage of Galatians, Paul teaches us that our identity in Christ liberates us to live as God's children. 
We will dig deeper into that soul-liberating truth in two divisions, perplexing choices and perpetual covenant. Our first division is perplexing choices, Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Please open your Bible so you can follow along with me. Paul is deeply concerned for the Galatian believers and completely perplexed by their choices. In verses 8 and 9, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that were by nature not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? When Paul first came to Galatia, the Galatians were worshiping pagan gods, idols carved of wood or stone. They were enslaved to those that were by nature, not gods at all. Paul came, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, and they received him by grace through faith. They came to know God, and more importantly, they were known by God. I hope you parked on that wondrous thought. We can know God because we are known by God. The sovereign, almighty creator of all things is a knowable God. He is personal, relational. He is revealed in his creation. But that revelation is limited. To truly know God is to know his character as he reveals it in his word, the Bible, and in the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Jesus wore human flesh to show us who God is. This is the reason that we actively look for who he says he is as we study the Bible. To know God is to know his truth and be liberated from what Paul calls the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Principles that once enslaved us. Those who do not know God are enslaved to the prince of this world, also known as Satan, and they are enslaved to his lies. He promotes worldly thinking, foolish, futile, depraved thinking. He convinces us to believe that what is good is evil and what is evil is good. Paul describes this in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 32, saying that the people exchanged the truth about God for a lie. By placing their faith in Jesus Christ, the Galatian Christians had been liberated from these lies, liberated from the chains of a darkened, depraved mind, idolatrous worship, misguided morals, and wicked behavior. Now, they want to trade their liberty found in Christ so that they, they could trade it in so they could be enslaved by the world once again. Paul tells us that they did this with Jewish shackles. Verses 10 through 11 
You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. The days and months and seasons and years refers to the different feasts and holy days observed by the Jews under the law of Moses. They were choosing to follow Old Testament rituals as a religious obligation, just like the Pharisees. Paul says that this is evidence that all his efforts may have been wasted on them. As far as he is concerned, the Jewish religion was no better than paganism. This is the same of all false teaching. The legalism preached by the Judaizers was taking them right back to the same kind of pagan religion that once required them to follow astrological signs, celebrate the birthdays of Roman emperors, and perform rituals to please the so-called gods. The Judaizers said following God was a matter of duty. Rituals replaced a relationship with the one true God. Paul says this means they are not God's true children. They are still slaves to this world. By grace alone, we become God's children and only our identity in Christ liberates us to live as God's children. In verses 12 through 14, Paul practices remembrance with his Galatian brothers, saying, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. Paul is referring to his first missionary journey, which took him to Galatia. He experienced an unexpected health problem there. We are never told which specific physical ailment plagued Paul, but we do know that it caused him great, great suffering. So I want you to note here that even though Paul was suffering, he was still preaching. Nothing ever stopped him from proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, he became just like them so he could effectively lead them to Christ. And the Galatians, they received Paul and they received the gospel when it would have been much easier to reject him because of his ailment or deformity. Most ancient Greeks considered disease and disability to be signs of divine displeasure or even demonic influence. When Paul says that the Galatians did not scorn or despise him, he literally says that they did not spit at him. This is what pagans normally did when they saw someone who was diseased or disfigured. Instead of spitting at him, the Galatian Christians received Paul as an angel, as Christ Jesus. They did so because they recognized him as an official messenger of Jesus as he preached God's word. 
Now that had changed. Paul is perplexed. His heart is wounded. He asked them in verses 15 through 16, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul wants to know what happened to the joyous, contented, liberated believers he once knew. The blessedness he refers to here is the work of the Holy Spirit who came to indwell them at conversion. The Holy Spirit that they received by faith, not by works of the law. He goes on to say that they, his brothers in Christ, once loved him so much that they would have gouged out their eyes to give to him. In the ancient world, a man's eyes were his most valuable possession. To say that the Galatians would have given him their eyeballs meant that they would have done anything for him. This is no longer true. God's truth once made Paul their beloved brother. Now, God's truth made him their enemy. How could this be? Paul knew the real enemy, the Judaizers. He does not call them by name, but in verse 17, they are the they. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. The Judaizers had selfish purposes in getting the Galatians to follow their false teaching. They wanted disciples or followers who made much of them, not Jesus Christ. They were zealous for this. The phrase make much of is translated as zeal in other translations. Paul's zeal is quite the opposite. He is zealous for them to be like Christ. In verse 18, he encourages their zeal, even in his absence. He says it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. In other words, it's good to have zeal for the right purposes and not just when the pastor is around. In verse 19, with great affection, he calls them my little children. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul is striving, struggling, and suffering. He is in anguish for them until they become like Christ. For this to happen, they needed to be liberated from their chains to be a true child of God means knowing the freedom of God's grace and the joy of God's word. Both work together with the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Christ. This is what it looks like to be transformed from slave to son. Our identity in Christ, it liberates us to live as God's children. Anyone who is in Christ, 
is a new creation. The old sinful self is dead. The new redeemed self is alive and becoming more and more like Christ. This was true of the Galatians until the Judaizers arrived on the scene and started confusing them with their false teaching. A teaching that Paul just cannot wrap his mind around. How could they surrender their liberty as a child of God to wear the chains of legalism once again? It made no sense. So Paul says in verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul yearns to be with them. He loves them. He wants them to know how their identity in Christ liberates them to pursue knowing God on a deeper level and to grow in Christ-likeness. This gives us our first truth. Our identity in Christ liberates us to pursue knowing God and Christ-likeness. How well do you know God? What are you doing to increase your knowledge of his glorious character? And how are you being conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ? Our identity in Christ liberates us from the chains of meaningless religious ritual and draws us into the pursuit of a deeper relationship with God Almighty. When Jesus drew his last breath on the cross, the massive curtain which separated the priest and the people from the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence dwelt, it was torn in two from top to bottom, that, that thick, heavy curtain, torn in two. It was a supernatural act that proclaimed that the barrier standing between sinners and the holy God was removed. His children are welcome to spend time in his presence, praying, studying his word, and worshiping. This is what deepens our relationship with him and grows us into the likeness of Christ. As his children... We must pursue knowing God, and we must pursue becoming more and more like Christ. Our identity in Christ liberates us to do so. If the Galatians needed more convincing to shake off the chains of the law, Paul returns once again to the covenant between God and Abraham. It is a perpetual covenant. That's our second division. Perpetual covenant, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Paul uses an example from the book of Genesis that includes two women, two sons, two covenants, two cities, and Father Abraham, the hero of the Jewish faith. Paul begins with another question. In verse 21, he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? 
There's almost a sar sarcastic tone here. Paul is essentially saying if they really listened to what the law says, they would see that the law itself says not to be under the law. The law was given to lead the people to Jesus Christ and his covenant of grace. Paul explains this using a history lesson about Abraham. Look at verses 22 through 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. This takes us back to Genesis chapter 16 and 17. Abraham and his wife Sarah decide to help God fulfill his promise to make Abraham into a great nation. God first made that promise to them in Genesis chapter 12. Many, many years passed and Sarah and Abraham remained childless. So Sarah instructs Abraham to take her slave Hagar and produce an heir. Abraham listens to Sarah and has a child with Hagar, and they name him Ishmael. But God reiterates to Abraham that his promise was that he would have a child with Sarah, and they would name him Isaac. Isaac was the child that God had promised, not Ishmael. By his divine power, God made this happen, even though Abraham was as good as dead. Now, those are not my words. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. It says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she was considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now there is a fundamental spiritual difference between Abraham's two sons. One son was born of a slave woman, the old-fashioned way, or according to the flesh. The other son was born of a free woman, the fulfillment of God's covenant promise. One came by works, the other came by faith. One was a slave, the other free. Paul interprets the meaning of Abraham's family history by using an allegory. An allegory is a story that uses specific people, places, and events to teach deeper spiritual truths. Verses 24 through 25. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. In these two verses, the two covenants correspond to the two women, 
Hagar represents the Old Covenant, the covenant of works. She was uh, the perfect woman to represent the Old Covenant because it was a covenant that meant slavery to the law. She was from Mount Sinai, the place where the law of Moses was later handed down from God. And Hagar is a slave. All her children were slaves. Anyone in bondage to legalism is Hagar's spiritual child. Anyone who reduces the Christian faith to a, a list of do's and don'ts is wearing the chains of the law. Jerusalem represents the people of God, and Hagar represents the present Jerusalem, meaning the Jews who were chained to the law. Shockingly, Paul is saying that the Judaizers were really Ishmaelites, children of a slave. This was as radical as calling the Jews Gentiles. The Jews took great pride in pointing out that they were true sons of Abraham. Paul says, true, but they were spiritually illegitimate children of Abraham, sons of Hagar. They were slaves in chains because they were giving up the liberty of the gospel to go back to the works of the law. The same holds true for anyone who works to be justified or made right with God by keeping the law. Paul is methodically moving toward the truth that the Galatians are liberated in Christ to live differently than a slave. He wants them and us to know that our identity in Christ liberates us to live as God's children. He illustrates this using Sarah in verses 26 through 27. He says, But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This quote is from the prophet Isaiah, and it relates both to Sarah and Jerusalem. Sarah was never a slave. She was a free woman and Abraham's wife. She was barren. The son born to her was by promise, the promise of God. Her son Isaac was born free. Sarah represents the new covenant, the covenant of grace. She corresponds to the Jerusalem above, or the spiritual Jerusalem. In the New Covenant, uh, commentator Riken notes that God no longer says, You shall and you shall not. Instead, he says, I will. The New Covenant is the gospel, the promise of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's people are the church in the Jerusalem above, the new Jerusalem. This spiritual Jerusalem is not just future for us. God has already begun building it, and it supersedes the earthly Jerusalem. The promises of the Old Testament were not just for the Jews. 
they are fulfilled in the church of Jesus Christ. All who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are sons and daughters of Sarah, the true children of Abraham. All who belong to God's family are liberated in Christ to live as God's children, citizens of the new spiritual and eternal Jerusalem. In verse 28, Paul says, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. For the second time, Paul calls the Galatians his brothers. They are children of promise, just like him, just like every believer throughout history. Everyone who has by grace through faith received Jesus Christ is a child of promise. Does that include you? If it does, Paul warns of persecution. Verse 29. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Ishmael was 14 years older than Isaac. Isaac was a rival to his inheritance from Abraham. He and his mother treated Isaac with contempt. So Sarah urged Abraham to cast them out. God agreed with Sarah, and Hagar and Ishmael were sent away. Like Ishmael, the Judaizers were born according to the flesh, the law. They were persecuting the Galatians, Abraham's true sons, who were born according to the Spirit. This persecution was having an adverse effect on their faith. So Paul encourages them to obey God's word and cast them out. Look at verse 30. But what does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Persecution because of our identity in Christ, proves that we are God's true children. Throughout history, and even today, true believers willingly suffer persecution for their Christian faith and even die for it. Do not be surprised by persecution. Instead, persevere through it by setting your sights on God and his promises of an eternal inheritance so that you can endure and even welcome persecution. In verse 31, Paul says, So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. He reiterates that the Galatians are his beloved brothers. Paul uses the inclusive pronoun we when he says we are not children of the slave. We are children of the free woman. In Christ, we have been liberated. Therefore, we must cast out all legalism and embrace God's grace. That is our second truth. Our identity in Christ liberates us to cast out 
all legalism and embrace God's grace. What legalism do you need to cast out from your walk with God? In what ways will you embrace God's grace instead? If you are in Christ, your new identity removes the chains of the law that says you shall not and replaces them with the grace-soaked promises of God that begin with the beautiful words, I will. Hear them. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will redeem you from your sins. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand. Which of God's I will promises do you need to claim right now? Trust Him. Embrace His all-sufficient and amazing grace. He will break the chains that keep you bound to fear, anxiety, and insecurity. Your identity in Christ, it liberates you to cast out all legalism and embrace God's grace. What chains are you still wearing? I'll close with another allegory taken from the pages of history. In John chapter 11, verse 43, Jesus raises the dead with a loud command. Lazarus, come out! At the sound of Jesus' voice, Lazarus, a man dead for four days and decaying, comes forth at once. Lazarus was alive, but his hands and feet were still bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped with a burial cloth. By the power of the word of God, Lazarus was planted upright outside of his tomb. Jesus' next command is one that every believer must heed. Take off the grave clothes. Those who are liberated from the penalty of sin and given new life in Christ by his death and resurrection cannot live liberated if they are bound by grave clothes. You and I, we cannot live spiritually free if we remain shackled by the chains of soul-killing, strength-sapping works to earn God's favor. Trade in your spiritual slavery for spiritual liberty. In Christ, our chains are broken. By grace through faith, we are reborn alive. So why are you still holding on to your grave clothes? Why are you still adorned with your favorite chains? We often forget who we are in Christ and return to the slavery of earning God's favor by doing enough and being enough. Don't do it. Don't do it. Take off your chains, child of God. Every last one of them. 
take off your chains and live. Your identity in Christ liberates you to live as God's child. Would you pray with me? Oh, Abba Father, mighty King, you are the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. You live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. You revive the spirit of the lowly and the hearts of the contrite. Revive the hearts of your children, Father. Give us insight into our identity in Christ. Show us who we are, what direction our lives should take, and what your purpose is for our lives. Continue your sanctifying work in us until Christ is fully formed in us and every chain has been removed. This we ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.